Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is! Drawing board or... Miro! Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. O-G. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. The world, as you know, has become a very dangerous place. You want to be able to keep your family safe, right? But do you have a plan to do so? I'm going to be talking to an expert to tell you how to prepare that plan. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, folks. So like I said, the world's a dangerous place to live. You want to be able to keep your family safe. And, you know, it was a little more than a month ago, uh, the date, I believe the date was October 27th, when uh, that tragic shooting at the Pittsburgh Synagogue, taking, what was it, 11, 12 lives, injuring uh, half a dozen other people, you know, it shocked everybody in this country. And that was just the latest of a lot of unfortunate instances like that taking place. And at the time, I came across this book entitled what's your plan and it was really easy reading but not only was it easy reading it was important reading and it was written by a fellow by the name of uh, James DeMeo who's got a uh, history of uh, being an expert in security at events in different places and I was trying to get him on and it just so happens to be that I have him on with us now so let me introduce you to Mr. James DeMeo. Hello, James. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Russ. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, listen, th- thanks for being on. So, I mean, I was going through this book, and it's a, as you say, it's a step-by-step guide to keep your family safe during emergency situations. Well, obviously, we all live in a different world than we'd like it to be. You know, uh, I grew up in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. I was able to travel when I was nine years old on the bus, and I then take the subway from Sheepshead Bay and take it all the way up to the Bronx to go meet my father at Yankee Stadium to go to a ball game, okay? The world has changed, and that was normal. 
you know, all kids did that. You know, now we wouldn't even think about it. Uh, so, but w- that's just some some of the little things. But, you know, for example, y- y- let's get right to situations, if I may, and then we'll go over different things. But like the synagogue situation, like a school situation. So you tell me, uh, James, what's the plan? How do you How do you prevent that or try to prevent that? Sure. It's a terrific question, Russ. And again, thanks for the opportunity to share the message with your audience. Certainly uh, challenging times we're living in, but regardless of the spaces that you find you and your family, and again, it could be a sports and entertainment venue, a church, a school, I think the key is to have an awareness of your immediate surroundings, a personal situational awareness mindset to kind of get out in front of the challenges that we're seeing on a daily basis. So certainly, you know, education and training and awareness and kind of getting past the fear factor, I believe, places, you know, families in a position of strength to deal with these ongoing challenges. Well, like you say, getting past the fear factor, uh, I got to tell you, just the other last week, uh, I have three little grandsons. I took the middle one, who's not quite three yet, I took him to see uh, an animated movie. I'm sitting in the theater with my wife, and he's sitting between us. And I'm looking all around. There's a bunch of little kids around. And, you know, I, because I had your book on my mind, and I'm saying to myself, look at look at the, look what's in this theater. Everybody here, including my little guy next to me, we're all vulnerable. And somebody could just walk in like it was nothing and blow everybody apart. So in my question, you say, you know, get away from the fear factor. How do you get away from the fear factor? Yeah, again, a terrific question, Russ. Certainly, you know, knowing what you're going to do as you enter the space, as you mentioned, you're, you're aware of your surroundings, you're looking at entrances, exits. You're looking, you know, at the patrons sitting alongside of you. Maybe somebody's having a bad day. You know, you want to be aware of that. You want to share that knowledge with an usher or somebody in management inside that theater. Certainly, uh, you know, know where the exit doors are. We saw with the Aurora shooting, obviously, you know, uh, the individual had come through a uh, an exit door, made his way back into, you know, the... Um, You're talking about Col- Columbine, correct? No, no, this is the Aurora... Oh, the Aurora, uh, Aurora shooting, okay. Yes, yes. So, you know, when you're, when you're in those spaces, again, uh, potentially you can be vulnerable, but if you've already discussed well ahead of time what you're going to do in terms of, you know, how you're going to exit or, you know, certainly you know, run, hide, fight, see something, say something, all those things are very important. But you want to get out to the theater early, get your seats, you know, get settled in, but look around and see what's happening, uh, you know, in your immediate uh, surroundings. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, these these challenges are continuing, but I think, you know, if you can get out in front, have have the conversation, know what you're going to do, be mindful of who's sitting around you, and, you know, don't presume it's somebody else's responsibility to let someone know, you know, take the, the uh, you know, the honest upon yourself to let someone know that maybe someone next to you is looking a little out of the ordinary. One of the things that I learned, uh, Russ, in 21 years in law enforcement is everything is the real thing until proven otherwise. So if something doesn't feel right inside, share that information with somebody, you know, in a position authority in a timely manner. Well, when you say, and, and James, you, you mentioned 21 years of law enforcement. That was, correct me, I'm wrong, with Nassau County Police? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, were you uh, a, a detective? I'm, I'm just curious to know the background of, you know, investigating. Sure, sure. I started in patrol. I worked in community affairs, and then I was designated as a detective. 
I worked in the juvenile aid section and then uh, eventually worked my way over to missing persons. I actually instructed at the police academy, which is where my love of teaching comes from, but certainly 21 years. I retired in 2011, and since then, just trying to get out in front of these challenges, again, event security, family safety, and preparedness, um, just trying to educate and get past that fear factor, because I think, Russ, that's where people get themselves in trouble. They don't have a predetermined plan. They don't know what to do. Panic and chaos uh, settles in, and ultimately, it's more of a reactionary mindset as something that's uh, as opposed to more proactive in nature. Well, w- w- when you say, uh, and I'm with you, mm-hmm. but 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 my, I got to ask, when you say you don't have a predetermined plan, m- my question is, uh, how do you have a plan? I, I mean, when you're getting up in the morning, you're not planning for some nut, some terrorist, whatever the hell it is, to come in and blow people away. So, so you know, how do you plan for that or prepare for that? Well, again, I think it's just a change in mindset, and certainly we're seeing these challenges continuing on a daily basis. Nobody really wants to believe that, you know, it's gunshots. You may think it's fireworks. You look at the Vegas shooting. They thought it was something with the speaker system. You know, nobody really wants to think that the unthinkable, the unimaginable is happening. But if you have that mindset where it's like, listen, really something possibly could be going wrong here, but we've already discussed our plan. We have a predetermined meeting place. We have fully charged cell phones. We know we already know in advance where the exits are. We're going to make our way to those locations. And I always advise Russ, you know, to follow law enforcement's guidance when they get upon scene. But I wrote this book a year ago. And when you look at the FBI stats, stats they talk about the first 10 to 15 minutes where all the bad stuff is over before the good guys get there. Well, look what's happened in the last year. It's more like a seven- to nine-minute window where all the bad stuff is over before the good guys get there. So ultimately, you know, some of the smartest people I know, FBI people, they talk about motive, and that's important in terms of understanding why somebody would do something. But when you talk about motive, that usually means people are already gone. So I want to try to get, you know, the the public to be confident in themselves, to get out in front, and to know what they're going to do as a family uh, you know, again, before they're faced with these uh, challenges that we're seeing every day. Okay, so l- let's, well, you know, you, you, let's say the Vegas shooting, okay? And I'm Russ Salzberg, and I'm there in that hotel with my family on vacation, okay? And I'm going to this concert. Shooting starts. People are going down. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Look around. We, we see now that this, this individual had carte blanche to the hotel. You know? So those are things that you know, obviously uh, staff and housekeeping have to be mindful of. But just as a regular citizen, if you're seeing something that doesn't look right, you need to let somebody know. Again, you can't presume it's somebody else's responsibility. When you're in that space, you have already have a predetermined plan. You already know how you got in and how you're going to get out. And you're certainly going to do everything you can to get your family out of that space. Um, you know, in a timely manner. And again, if you haven't created that mindset that you're going to try to survive that unthinkable situation, you're at a tremendous disadvantage if you're confronted with it. All right. So, so let me ask you this. I want to protect my family. I am in that mindset. The shooting starts. Okay. I, I'm in that mindset. So, you know, if I had the plan, what, what, Russ Salzberg woke up that morning with his family at the hotel, and I, I, I developed a plan. Okay, we're going to a concert tonight. The shooting starts. What should I have done? 
What you've already done, obviously, is everybody has a fully charged cell phone. You have a designated meeting place, so it could be back at the car or what have you, but you're going to know where the exits are, run, hide, fight. You're going to run to those locations. You're going to get away from the shooter. You're going to obviously you know, reconvene with your family, but you've already done that. The problem is when it goes down, you know, everyone is panicking and they're running in different directions. And I always talk about you know, the people that work those spaces, guest services, security, they have to know how to lead people to safety during times of crisis. And certainly, you know, with the Ariana Grande concert, they didn't know what to do. And that's when panic sets in. So you want to be mindful when you go into those spaces because, again, uh, confined spaces, densely populated areas are prime targets for terrorist attacks. Certainly with the Vegas shooting, we still can't figure out the motive for the shooter. But ultimately, lessons learned moving forward, we have to have the public have that awareness, that mindset, that things can happen in tight spaces. So, you know, knowing how to get out, predetermined, uh, you know, meeting places, code words, fully charged cell phones. Again, if law enforcement gets on scene, follow their direction and guidance. But you have a survival mindset that you're going to face that unthinkable situation because you have a predetermined plan on knowing what you're going to do prior to it happening. Well, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, The understanding here is, okay, we want to have a plan. But and, and you're not trying to mislead anybody here. Just because you have a plan doesn't mean all is not going to go wrong. Doesn't mean because you have a plan doesn't mean that you'll be able to escape the tragedy. You know, to me, it sounds like, though, at least you want to give yourself and your family a chance to be able to do that. Absolutely. And, you know, certainly things, you know, it's an, kind of an ebb and flow situation. You know, law enforcement has already been contacted. They're responding you're in that space dealing with that challenge, and there could be second and third type of, uh, you know, attack situations. You can have an IED terrorist, uh, you know, uh, with an explosive, and then somebody could pull the fire alarm. You know, there could be a lot of things going on all at once, uh, which can make the situation extremely confusing, confusing and chaotic. But, you know, I always like to say that, you know, if you're aware of what's going on, you know, you're out in front, you know, those seven to nine minutes, as I've mentioned, you know, you just can't wait for the good guys to come save you. You've got to place yourself in a position to basically save yourself to get out of that space. All right. Now, here's, you know, for example, um, the Pittsburgh shooting, because I don't even know. Is that the most recent? You know, as, as terrible as it sounds, uh, it, it, the Pittsburgh shooting in a synagogue a little over a month ago. Those people are sitting there, and here's a guy blowing people away. What in that moment are you supposed to do? Well, again, a very, very difficult situation, you know, certainly, you know, knowing how to get out of that space. But I always say that, you know, uh, when you're walking in, you're looking around, you know, your place of worship. You're looking for someone who those, you know, um, behavioral clues, if someone's looking a little out of the ordinary, but if you know that space, you know how to get out, um, you know, again, you get out in front of it, it's a very, very difficult situation because a lot of those places aren't armed. We're starting to see now that we're hardening targets, you know, we're, we're hiring armed security, but, you know, becoming part of the safety team, getting involved, uh, you know, doing kind of dry runs and, and doing fire drills, if you will, uh, you know, again, getting the congregation to know what they're going to do. 
um, you know, again, places us in a good position. Again, very, very difficult situation, but, you know, we're talking about motive. We're talking about things that have happened after the fact, and I'm trying to change, you know, with your help and educating the public not to be fearful, but to change that reactionary mindset to being more aware of, you know, what you're going to do. Again, your plan may be different than mine, but you've had that conversation and again, you're you're in a good position to get out in front of these challenges. Yeah, it, it, it kind of sounds like uh, James, you, you you're saying, well, just because you have a plan doesn't mean it can prevent something from happening. But but a pre-planned you know uh, responses really are they're critical to personal safety during any kind of active shooter active shooter situation. You know, absolutely. And we look at the studies. Adults are on their smartphones 11 hours a day, Russ. So that's kind of a distraction to begin with. When I wrote this book, you know, last year, we were in the mall up on the second floor. Lights go out. My son said something very profound to me. I've been in this business 28 years when it comes from your own son. How old is your son? Just He's so 14 oh. now at the time. He was 13. Right. But what was so interesting right away is everyone was looking down on their, their smartphones, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, in complete darkness. So when 11, nearly 12 hours a day, we're looking at our phones, we're not paying attention to the world around us. And again, that places us at an extreme disadvantage in an unthinkable and imaginable situation if we're not looking around to see potentially what may happen to us prior to it happening. Yeah, I mean, you, when you talk about looking down on cell phones, they, they don't have to be on Twitter. They don't have to be on, on Facebook. They can yep. just be talking to somebody. But I, I, I can tell you, um, just driving here in New York City, I can't tell you how many times... How many times just people, mothers in crosswalks with children just looking down? I don't care if they have the light in their favor or not, just looking down, not paying attention to what's going on. I mean, you know, flat out speaking, a car can come up and hit them in the ass and they wouldn't know the difference until they were knocked up in the air because they're just not paying attention. So really, that uh, that is a very good point. You brought up, you know, like certain things, uh, you know, armed guards or something. How do you feel, you know, certainly became a hot topic with the tragedy, you know, of the high school in in Florida. Um, What's your feeling about armed people at schools? And, you know, when I say armed people, should they be armed, uh, you know, policemen, should they be military people? Should a teacher be armed? Because I don't think so. But, uh, you know, you, you're the expert, so you tell me. Sure. It's a great question. It's, it's become a controversial issue. I agree with you. I, I think teachers should not be armed. Uh, they didn't sign up for that. The ones that I've spoken to, you know, have their master's degree. They're highly educated, but they don't want to be in that space having that, you know, that extra responsibility. Uh, we have to look at student uh, school resource officer, you know, ratios we saw down in Parkland, it was like one to 3,000, which is not going to work. We have to harden those targets. You know, we have to have, if we're going to arm, you know, uh, retired law enforcement and ex-military as security officers, they have to be highly trained. Uh, You know, as I was with Nassau County, we had to go to the, you know, range once a year. So they have to be proficient in uh, weapons and weapon retention. Uh, Again, we need to get the key stakeholders you know, on the same page, obviously, that's the principals, assistant principals, the school resource officers, the students, which, you know, again, made a a monumental impact post-Parkland. 
to come forward sharing, sharing the information, the guidance counselors, everybody in that space working together to harden that target, you know, while our children are in school, you know, during the regular school days. So, again, it, it's a Second Amendment. It's a very controversial topic, uh, you know, but ultimately I like to talk about, you know, training and education and, you know, getting everyone, you know, to speak the same language in the interest of public safety, regardless of the vertical. So certainly schools are, are vulnerable. We're, we're seeing on Long Island, where I'm originally from, you know, they're spending a lot of money, you know, on vestibules and credentialing and hardening targets, which is very, very important. But, you know, law enforcement, Russ, can only do as much as they can do. And I spent 21 years with one of the best service police departments in the United States. And again, you know, we're, we're seeing challenges with uh, the recruitment of police officers and, you know, officers working extra hours. They're under a lot of stress, overtime, the whole nine yards. We need the public to, you know, have a more active or proactive, you know, um, investment in their own personal safety, you know, when, again, when they're in these spaces. Uh, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned your son was 13 at the time he asked the question. When we have these tragedies, okay, uh, you, you know, from Columbine, Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook, you, you know, in your book, you did Manchester, Pulse, Sutherland Springs, Texas, Vegas, Pittsburgh, you know, far too many to mention. Uh, when, at what age... Is it is there an age, James DeMeo, that that is too early to speak to the your, your children about safety, about little things to be aware? Like little Johnny's in the first or second grade, six or seven years old. Is that too early? I mean, you don't want your kid to be traumatized, but boy, when, when he sees other other little children being killed, that does traumatize traumatize them. So you want him to be prepared. When is it too early? When is the right time to talk to the people of that age? Yeah. Or of, any, or of any age, for that matter. Sure, sure. Well, you know, what the ages that they're using in the schools, Russ, again, for different types of education, whatever those particular ages are where they're introducing topics that are important for young people as they, you know, obviously go into adolescence and, and grow up would be a similar age. So, you know, for me personally, mm-hmm. you know, we should have these conversations with, with first graders. Because we have to, you know, you know, with the classes and, you know, moving up to the middle schools and the high schools um, to have the education to, you know, to train these students on what they're going to do to be aware if something doesn't look right and then sharing that information with an educator in that space. Again, unfortunately, these challenges continue to happen. Uh, um, you know, I'm not a fear monger. I'm somebody who's trying to get out in front to educate, to empower. But, you know, until we can get a handle on, you know, getting some resolution to these ongoing challenges. We have to introduce this kind of education, you know, to young people, um, you know, when they're in these spaces to share the information and, again, to train and to be aware not to create fear but to empower young people on knowing what to do if they're unfortunately confronted with these type of scenarios. Yeah, I'm not saying it because you're sitting with me, James, and, you you know, talking about it. I I really agree with what you just said. I also agree, like, like, yeah, first grade is not too early to start. You know, People, to, we, we were brought up in a different time, okay? Uh, like I said, I was able to travel on a bus in the subways in New York City when I was nine years old, and that, it wasn't that my parents didn't care. That was totally the norm. All kids did that. Now, you, you would never think about doing that. I know my three little grandsons, who are one, three, and four, you know, that's not going to be the way it is for them. But, you know, parents want to protect their kids, and, and they don't want to scare their kids. And even though that's loving, you know, I always say this, 
I say this to a lot of people. Because you're a loving parent doesn't make you a very, it doesn't mean automatically you're going to be a good parent. You have to be able to, you know, sometimes make hard decisions. Uh, You know, parents want to protect their kids. They don't want them to know from bad things. They want everything to be nice and rosy, but it's unrealistic. You know, there are a lot of parents, even with death, for example, uh, and I'll speak personally to that. You know, when I was a kid, I remember being five years old and my, my father taking me to wakes and, and, and funeral parlors to pay respects when somebody died. And, you know, I hear people say, oh, no, I don't want to take little Johnny or little uh, Mary there. You, you know, it's too much. It's, but it prepares you because that's the reality of life. You, you know, you, you have to learn to deal with those things. So I, I agree with you. I, I think... They got to know that bad things happen. Not everybody's good and, and to be prepared. And, and, you know, I don't think it, I mean, have, have you spoken to psychiatrists or people about this? Is it damaging? You know, because I know some people are going to say, James, no, nah, I disagree with you. It's too much for a kid. I, I, you know, people worry about traumatizing uh, a kid. You know, uh, how do you deal with the psychological impact, you know, when they hear about these tragedies? But, you know. Uh, kids have to deal with it, and and it's I guess it's part of mental health. It is part of mental health, and and just on a personal note, my wife's girlfriend was in um, the audience during the Vegas shooting. Uh, she was nearly killed. A good Samaritan said, "You know, jump in the back of my truck." Uh, she was out of there. She survived. She has my book, Rush. She can't get past chapter one uh, because of the trauma, unfortunately, that you know she's received, and we've seen in Thousand Oaks. Some of the folks that were in that shooting were also in the Vegas shooting. So there is a community out there of victims who have been traumatized that are dealing, you know, obviously post-event with the psych- psychological impact, you know, of these shoot- mass shootings that we're seeing around the country. So we can't forget about these people because they need our help. They need our assistance, you know, in terms of uh, mental health counseling. And certainly, you know, when we talk about gun control and, you know, shootings and certainly, you know, background checks, mental health uh, you know, checks are also very, very important uh, in terms of making sure people are, are mentally stable in situations. So, again, you know, uh, the information is out there. You know, we don't want to scare young people. We want to uh, empower them. Uh, and, again, I've been doing this for 28 years. I worked the after- aftermath of 9-11, the blackout, Tropical Storm Irene. I'm just a messenger. This message is bigger than James A. DeMeo. You know, with your help, we're, we're reaching out to media industry leaders you know, I've been on TV. I'm doing everything that I possibly can to share the information without creating fear. But ultimately, if we're not paying attention to the world around us, things are going to continue to happen, and we're going to be at a disadvantage to deal with these challenges. Yeah, you, you know, look, I made my living, you know, uh, you know, we're not discussing sports today, but I made my, lev- my living uh, w- with a sports career. You know, mm-hmm. I've gone into stadiums and arenas countless number of times. And, you know, I've been in this business for 35 years. I would say for the first 33 of those years, I never paid a lot of attention. But the last couple of years when you walk in and, and you know, certainly bad things have happened before these last couple of years. But you, you walk in and you look around. Now I'm spending more time looking around, which I never did. So, you know, you're coming in with your son and daughter to a football game. You go into MetLife Stadium. 
James DeMeo, what is Russ and his family supposed to do from the time I drive into the stadium to the time I park my car? You tell me the plan I'm supposed to have. Absolutely. Professional sports does an amazing job uh, with screening, you know, um, metal detectors and, and hand wanding and all that, which is very, very important on the ingress. But as you're, you know, you know, obviously fully charged cell phone, full tank of gas, you respond to the stadium, you park your vehicle, first thing you want to know is where'd you park your vehicle? You know, take, take a photo of letter A in park, parking field six or wherever you're parked, but just know where your vehicle is parked. You know, head towards the stadium, go through the screening, look around you, know where your seat is, utilize your resources within that space, law enforcement, guest services, you know, security, enjoy the game. You know, if someone around you is, is intoxicated or acting out of the ordinary, you know, let somebody know. Um, you know, just a few weeks ago, Russ, um, you know, down in uh, Jacksonville, there was a shooting outside the stadium. So they do a great job screening folks, patrons, as they go into these spaces. But when you're leaving, you want to be mindful of what potentially could happen on your way back to your vehicle. So, you know, again, professional sports, they do a great job. I'm concerned about mid-sized venues, you know, symphonies, uh, the Pulse, obviously, in Orlando. They don't have access to, you know, the resources, you know, that the NFL or the NBA may have in terms of, you know, the Joint Terrorism Task Force and the FBI and DHS and the marshals and everyone else that we see at these mega events. But if you're taking your family to a symphony or a smaller event, you really need to utilize the same kind of strategies that you would if you were going to a Jets or Giants game. Well, so, uh, let, let me just interject there for a mm-hmm. second because I was going to bring it up. But since you said a Jets or a Giants game, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going, you know, I'm involved with the Giants. So, and I yeah. have to say this MetLife Stadium does a great job. When I walk in there, from the moment I park my car and I go in, I feel extremely safe because as soon as I, I walk across, you know, the, the, from the parking lot, the parking lot, to you know the the media entrance, I'm seeing armed, you know, state troopers with their vests on, with their machine guns pointed down, with their dogs with them. No, it's a very imposing sight, but it it causes me great calm. I, I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm walking into a secure situation. That's how I feel, and, and that's and that's the right way to feel, and that is comforting. But remember now, when you leave that space, let's say, for instance, you're taking a bus or a train. I opened the Barclays Center a few years ago. And if you think about mass transportation hubs when you're, you're exiting an NBA venue, Brooklyn Nets, 18,000 fans, they go down into the Long Island Railroad MTA. Those are potential choke points and bottlenecks for us for terrorist activity. So we want to be mindful of, as we're going into these tight spaces and when we're leaving stadiums, going back to our vehicle or using you know, mass transportation hubs. We looked at Vegas. We're talking about entertainment zones. So we're not only talking about the stage and the actual, you know, place where the performers perform, but what's surrounding those areas have become entertainment zones, and they kind of flow in and out um, with patron traffic. So, yeah, it's great that you feel that way. Certainly do, they do an amazing job, and let's hope they continue to do that. But certainly if we can get the fans to see something, say something, run, hide, fight, Share information. Again, you know, technology is an excellent conduit uh, for fans, you know, to, to send a text or, you know, look at one of the apps that the stadiums are utilizing to share that information with the command center controls, again, to, you know, effectively dispatch, you know, personnel to that area to mitigate that risk before a potential problem. All right. Here's a question for you, James. 
How do you handle a situation, let's say, if you are on the outside, okay, uh, you know, and it's your loved one on the inside during an event? Or you, let me give you an example. You hear at a school there's an active shooter. You're a parent. You hear that. I mean, your heart's going to drop. Panic sets in. What should you do? Because your loved one is on the inside and you're on the outside. Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, we're seeing that, you know, schools now are utilizing technology, mass notification systems. The students obviously have their phones, you know, but, I mean, there there are staging areas that parents can respond to. Um, But certainly, you know, as this is happening, unfolding, you know, law enforcement is responding. We're hoping all that that training has already taken place, right? Run, hide, fight, see something, say something, lockdown drills, all those things are taking place. But, you know, the first thing to realize is that, you know, you, you, you want to try to put the fear factor behind you. We're all parents. I have two children. I send my, my two kids out into the same world that the listening audience, you know, sends their children out to. So, you know, we want to be mindful that, you know, if we've done all these things in advance and we've gotten everybody on the same page as best as possible, you know, we can only hope for the best. Uh, with these types of challenges. Uh, how about, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think, uh, what places scare you? When, when I say what places scare you, James, uh, like I, I'm not scared in a stadium, but, you know, because of what's gone on in the world lately, I'm certainly more fear, fearful of a place of worship. I'm more fearful of walking in a mall and I'm more fearful of sitting in a movie theater because I got to tell you something. I mentioned I went and took my, my little grandson with my wife and walking into the theater, you know, it was holiday time. It was uh, uh, just before Thanksgiving. Uh, it was holiday time. I'm not seeing any guards in there. And I'm sitting in a dark theater. Um that's pretty scary. That, th- those are the places that make me nervous. Are, are there certain venues that you feel you should be more concerned with than others? Terrific question. They're known as soft targets, Russ. Okay, you just described a soft target. Think about going to the mall, Roosevelt Field Mall. You know, I'm from Long Island originally. Right. You know, you go over there, and it's not like you're going through a metal detector or someone yes. hand wanding you. You know, as you're going into that space, but you do have contracted law enforcement. You have security, guest services. These are resources, facilities, housekeeping. These are all folks that should be trained on knowing what to do in an active shooter or active assailant situation. Utilize those resources as you go into that space. So soft targets, certainly churches and, and malls, uh, certainly movie theaters, and we're seeing movie theaters are attached to shopping malls, right? Sure. Sometimes we see theaters inside, you know, Roosevelt Field or what have you. But, you know, as you're exiting your vehicle, you're going into that space, you're, you're aware of the world around you, you're looking for your resources, if something doesn't seem or feel right, you're letting somebody know right away. You're not presuming it's somebody else's, you know, uh, position and authority, you know, to do it on their own. But, you know, soft targets are very challenging. So to answer your question, certainly mid-sized venues and smaller, you know, certainly festivals, you know, places where people congregate, families, uh, are concerning to me because they don't have the same type of resources or the, the higher level of resources that professional sports may have. But I think if the public can really, you know, bring their A game every day to be aware of what's going around them, again, you know, it just kind of ups the level of awareness um, in terms of being safe and secure within those spaces. Are there certain places, James, where, let's say, you know, you're talking about soft targets, but, uh, you know, I've mentioned 
what I think is the obvious, you know, the, the schools, the synagogues, the, the, the churches, the uh, arenas, you mentioned Barclays, I can mention MetLife, all that. But are there certain spots that we never mention because we just take them for granted that we don't pay attention to that you think we should be looking at and parents and, and everybody should be looking at? Yeah, absolutely. And it's in the book, and I've bro- broken it down into eight chapters, Russ, and they're basically eight security you know, verticals. But what about, obviously, festivals, carnivals, street fairs, mm-hmm. water parks, theme parks, your local YMCA, you're on a treadmill working out, and there's a potential workplace violence situation. Someone has just been terminated as an employee. Now that person goes back to their vehicle, gets some type of a weapon, and you're on a treadmill working out. You know, you need to be prepared that something, you know, unthinkable could happen in that space. So, you know, we look at all these different places. Uh, we want to be mindful of somebody having a bad day, sharing the information in a timely manner, but just looking around and, and having that, you know, awareness, I think, again, places you in a very good position. So, you know, again, it's a timely discussion. People say to me, hey, James, your book is really timely. And I say, respectfully submitted, I wrote this book a year ago. With everything that's happened, Russ, I could have written another book on, you know, all these different challenges, you know, even out in California with the fires and just being prepared, you know, and having a safety plan in place is very, very important. Yeah, I, I, I will say this, and I'm not saying it, you know, just because you're on, but it really is an easy read. What impressed me about it, it's it's a very uncomplicated book. It, it's it's nuts and bolts. It's meat and potatoes. It's there in big, bold print, black and white for everybody to understand. I mean, you don't need a Harvard education to, to read the book. I, I mean that in the most complimentary way. That, that to me, is what uh, has impressed me. I'll, I'll give you an, an area where it strikes me when I go there. And, you know, since we're discussing it and I've been reading your book, and it, it really is an easy read, folks, and very worthwhile. I highly suggest it. Um, like a place like, you know, when you mentioned, you mentioned just before an amusement park. But when you're going into an amusement park, there's a gate, and, and you you know you pay your admission to go in. But a place like, and it's one of my favorite spots on this earth, Coney Island. I absolutely love yep. Coney Island. But there's no admission to get in there. You just go into Coney Island. I mean, how the hell do you prevent anything from happening there? Because you can get it from 48 different positions. It, it's just, you know, it, it's an open spot where people are mingling, having a good time. They're online getting hot dogs. I mean, for crying out loud, you could be sitting up in a Ferris wheel or on a roller coaster and get shot in the ass. I mean, really? Yeah. How, how do you prevent against a place like that? Is it, is it just having more guards? What is it? You know, it's a combination of awareness, education, you know, hardening the targets. You know, Coney Island in particular, you know, you, you may have other buildings that are adjacent to it, so you could have an aerial assault. You could be confronted with some type of drone scenario, an errant drone, as an example. Um, you know, some type of fire, some inclement weather. You know, we, we need to be mindful of, you know, knowing what the weather's going to be like when we go out to these, you know, open spaces. But, you know, the, we do the best we can. You know, we utilize social media to our advantage. We educate ourselves because I always say a safe patron is an educated patron, you know. So if you want to, you know, be safe, just have the plan in place. But, you know, these are places that are near and dear to us, and, you know, we always talk about just living our lives. And the goal of any terrorist organization is to create fear. And unfortunately, there's a lot of fear out there, and, I, you know, 
with your help, again, we're, we're trying to, you know, get past that fear factor, you know, empower people on what to do, you know, and again, just just place ourselves in the best position possible when dealing with these challenges. Well, m- more times than not, we're talking sports here on my mm-hmm. get a load of this um, podcast, but not not always. And today is one of those days where I, I just think, you know, with the world we live in, it is um, it, it, it's very, very worthwhile. Uh, where can people purchase your book, James? Great, great, Russ. Thank you so much. And, and the audience, obviously, you know, jamesademayo.com. We're on Amazon. We're on Goodreads. You know, obviously working with Russ today, uh, the New York audience. I've been traveling around the country just trying to get the message out. But, but certainly I always recommend if, you, if you're kind enough to buy the book to pass the book around the table, Russ. You know, again, if you're with your grandkids or your kids and you're going to a Jets game, read Chapter 1. If you're going to your place of worship, you know, read chapter two or three, you know, and then pass the book around and then have each family member read a little section of the book. There's an exercise action list. There's awareness keys. There's a glossary in the back with very simple terms to understand. As, as you said it best, it is not your typical security practitioner's guide. It's written for families. It's user-friendly. It's tangible. It's something you can use time and time again you know, to have that awareness, to have that education, to get past the fear factor. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I, I think the book uh, would be a worthwhile purchase, you know, for schools and, and, and associations to hand out, because, almost like a handbook. Now, right. Actually, actually, you want to know something? That's the way you wrote this thing. It, it's like when you call, the name of the book is What's Your Plan? But it, it could have been called What's Your Plan Handbook? Because it, it really is. That's what, that's what it is. Yeah, it is, and you can carry it pretty much anywhere with you. Uh, we are working with schools in Northern Virginia. You know, the students now have access to you know the ebook, so the students can read it in school, and obviously law enforcement and everyone within that space. But you know, working with you, Russ, is an honor and privilege. I've been following your career for quite some time. You know, I'm honored to have the conversation. And again, it's timely and it's important. But if we get it out there, you know, we get ahead of the challenges. Well, James DeMeo, thank you very much for being on. I, I think. Uh, what you're doing is important. It's it's certainly worthwhile. I commend you for it, and uh, I hope the people who are listening to this, uh, uh, you know, get the message. So again, uh, James, thanks very much for being here. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Russ. And folks, that's a wrap on today. I want to thank all of you for listening and getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you, and you know, tell me what your your thoughts are of. My conversation with uh, James DeMeo. You can contact me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg. You can let me know on Facebook if you like. You can also, uh, uh, why don't you check out my blogs on my website at russsalzberg.com. I want to thank my big guy across the way here, Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano, uh, to my OG podcast producer, Tim Einenkel, who does a tremendous job, to my 77 WABC program uh, director Craig Schwab to his trusty assistant, 77 WABC assistant program director Matt Dahl. And uh, last but certainly not least, got to thank used people out there because without used people, I'd have nobody here to talk to. So until next time, it is Russ Salzberg saying bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miroboard. 
Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or mirror board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online, at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.